Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. The period known as the Middle Ages stands out as one of the most violent eras in history. Lasting roughly 1,000 years from the 5th century to the 15th, the medieval age was a time of great inequality and brutality in much of Europe. What really sets this time apart is the ghoulish inventiveness that gave rise to a plethora of torture methods. These devices included such macabre creations as the rack, a device that stretched an individual until their joints dislocated and caused the tearing of limbs, or the breast ripper, a metal claw that shredded breasts to pieces, and many, many more ghoulish inventions. Let's go on a positively morbid trip to the Middle Age and talk about some of the worst torture devices ever put to use. Well hello my fellow weirdos, I'm Dom and this is episode 8 of Horror House. I hope everyone is well and I hope everyone is staying safe and looking after themselves and looking after the people around them. So episode 8, almost at double figures, absolutely crazy. And even crazier than that is at the time of recording this, my morbid little podcast has got over 700 downloads, which might seem like a a small number but for an independent podcast it's mind-blowing so thank you so so much to everyone who's followed everyone who's reviewed downloaded and supported me thank you you are all the real mvps i also want to give a big shout out to kayla from the podcast a little wicked and also jenna and danielle from did not need to know for both leaving five-star reviews for me. I am not worthy, but thank you so, so much for the love. And I'm so glad that you guys enjoy my morbid little production. And to the people listening, check their shows out, because if you don't, you're missing out. You're missing out. So without much further ado, let's get the ball rolling on this week's episode, which is a delightfully disgusting roundup of some of the worst tortures from medieval times. And it goes without saying, really, but I'm going to say it anyway. It'll be graphic, it'll be grim, it'll be disgusting, but that's why you're here, right? So, hold on to your butts, and happy Christmas Eve, everybody. So what better device to start out with than the rack? And don't worry, guys, it's not going to get any less morbid. It's it's going to get worse, (laughs) so don't worry about that. The rack was a device that consisted of a rectangular, generally wooden frame that was slightly elevated above the ground and had a roller on both ends, one by the head and one by the feet. The wrists of the victim are attached to one roller and the ankles would be attached to the other. 
as the questioning progressed, the chains are gradually retracted via a handle and a ratchet mechanism attached to the top roller, gradually increasing the strain on the prisoner's shoulders, hips, knees and elbows, which meant that perhaps unsurprisingly, the pain would be excruciating. The roller could be moved on its own axis using pulleys and levers, putting strain on the ropes until the sufferer's joints were dislocated and eventually split. Excessive stretching also causes muscle fibres to lose their capacity to contract, rendering them essentially useless. The loud cracking noises caused by snapping cartilage, ligaments or bones was one particularly gruesome element of being stretched too far on the rack. Another way to put pressure on convicts was to make them witness someone else go to the rack to the rack themselves. And if I saw that, you bet your ass that I would be talking. I'd I'd I would be I'd be talking. I'd be like, sorry dude, I'm I'm talking. I am not I'm not going through that. That is not a vibe. <laughs> that is not a vibe. Further tortures could also be applied while the prisoner was on the rack, such as burning the prisoner's flanks with hot torches or candles, or using pincers made with specially roughened grips to tear out the nails of the fingers and toes, or sliding thin slivers of red-hot coal between pairs of adjacent toes. Yeah, the rack... The rack ain't, ain't sounding too hot, my, pe my people. The rack is, is not... It's not a vibe, is it? It's just not. In one story, a Christian teen was bound to a wheel and the subsequent uh, stretching destroyed his joints. To add to the pretty shit time the young lad was having, a fire was ignited behind, uh, beneath the wheel as the victim's limbs were pulled free and the fire was eventually quenched by a deluge of blood. The horse was a particular sort of rack. It was a wooden contraption with a shape that resembled a horse, believe it or not. The victim was bound face up to a beam on the top, which would be the horse's back. Ropes fastened the victim's hands and feet were ropes, sorry, ropes that fastened to the victim's hands and feet were tightened by pulleys beneath them. He or she was stretched until his or her joints dislocated, then left there or slackened and permitted to dangle beneath the horse while, while an interrogator or a judge interrogated the victim and attempted to extract a confession. So, in summary, not really feeling the rack. The rack really isn't the one. It's just not. Another rather macabre creation was the breaking wheel or execution wheel, or just simply the wheel. It is said to have started with the martyrdom of St. Catherine of Alexandria, who perished on the wheel in 305 AD for refusing to deny her Christian faith. Those who had been broken on the wheel by the Middle Ages were less exalted than Christian saints. Instead, they were murderers of some sort. When it came to the possible punishments using the wheel, there were normally two possibilities. Could you be lucky and get the less horrific one? No. No, you could not, because they're both pretty damn shit. So, a person could either be broken by the wheel or broken on the wheel. The original form may have originated in Frankish times when it was common practice to execute offenders by rolling a wagon over them. <laughs> rolling a wagon over them. <laughs> I shouldn't laugh. 
but rolling a wagon over and fucking hell. However, by the Middle Ages, it required breaking the criminal's body with a single wheel. The condemned was thrown belly down on a board, according to procedures from Zurich's blood courts in the 15th century. The wheel was then slammed down onto each arm and leg twice. The ninth strike was normally aimed towards the spine. The broken body was then weaved between the wheel's spokes before being hammered to a pole. This pole would then be erected, the victim placed on the pole and left to die, enduring the agony of their mangled limbs. But you could get lucky enough to get the other form of punishment. Happy days! Happy days! To be broken on the wheel, a criminal's limbs were tied to the wheel and then smashed with a cudgel. Or a cudgel. Cudgel? Smashed with a cudgel. The wheel rotated in France to add an extra layer of ambiguity towards the punishment. The amount of sequencing and blows, on the other hand, were not random. They were determined by the court at sentencing. If leniency was deemed acceptable, the executioner would dispatch a culprit by strangling them after one or two blows. They might also be slain with a single hit to the neck or chest. The coup de grace or mercy stroke was the name given to this chest hit in France. That would be best case scenario. If you were entirely out of luck, you would have the worst case scenario. In the worst case, limbs were broken from the legs up in a sweet sequence ensuring that the suffering would endure for as long as possible. In 1581, mass murderer Peter Niers, a German bandit convicted of 544 murders, 544, was quartered alive after being tortured for two days and given 42 strikes on the wheel. Most criminals, on the other hand, would be left behind on the wheel to die of shock, dehydration, or animal assaults following their cudgeling. Most people only lasted about three days. Alternatively, the condemned were spread-eagled and broken on a sol- on a saltire, which is a cross made up of two wooden beams fastened together in an X configuration, and the victim's mangled body was then displayed for the world to see. So the wheel or the rack? If you had to choose one, what one would it be? I'm going to go neither. Thank you very much. Hi. I'm Courtney Fenner, and along with my co-host Amanda Cronin, hey hey, we are a Nefarious Nightmare. We are a podcast that covers true crime, the paranormal, weird unsolved mysteries, and all with a personal approach and a sense of humor. We also end our podcast with good life advice such as, wear deodorant, or don't be a Richard. Courtney and I have covered cases such as the Baker Hotel in Mineral Wells, Texas, and the tragic death of little Sharon Matthews. We've also covered the case of Gloria Ramirez, who was, very unfortunately, dubbed the toxic lady in the media. And also, in episode one, we have an interview with Jason Vukovic, the Alaskan Avenger, and his sister, Angelina. So let's all gather around the bonfire and roast serial killers and marshmallows. Yes, yes, come on in, come on in. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Audible, pretty much anywhere you find really great podcasts. Thank you guys so much for listening and welcome to A Nefarious Nightmare. Brutal torture methods weren't just reserved for the guys in middle ages. One method that was all for the ladies was a rather harmless device called the breast ripper. Yep, 
Totally, completely harmless, ladies. Nothing to worry about on this one. Woman-only tortures often were exceptionally terrible, and the aim was to eradicate aspects of femininity, and that was very, very, very much the purpose of the breast ripper. Those accused of adultery or abortion were the main targets of the gadget. As a result, the mechanism was was created particularly to mutilate and destroy the most obvious feminine attribute, the breasts, in retaliation for the claimed unwomanly crimes. If the person survives the punishment, they will be marked for life, unable to breastfeed any future infants, and hence unable to fill the primary role of woman in medieval society. The spikes of the ripper, which are made of iron and heated to make them easier to tear, would be fastened to a convicted woman's breast. The device would gradually shred the breast apart, rendering it worthless. The breast, along with a large piece of upper torso, has been ripped off in many documented cases, resulting in near-instant death. But just on the off chance that the breast ripper wasn't bad enough, there was the iron spider, or the spider which was a torture device akin to the breast ripper that was also used. The iron spider would have been connected to a wall, and the woman's breasts would have been fixed to the tool's claws. The woman was then yanked away from the the wall, and I think you know what the outcome would be. But wait, there's more. There's yet another variant. The more, the merrier, as they say. In this version, spiked bars were fastened slightly away from a wall. The victim would have been dragged along the bars until her breasts were torn away. Yeesh. (laughs) Good grief. However, sometimes torture doesn't need to be extravagant. extravagant. Sometimes you can keep it nice and simple. Sometimes rope and weights are all you need to inflict severe lifelong injuries or even death within an hour. The strapado, sometimes known as corda, is a simple but efficient method of torture that involves binding a victim's hands behind their back, suspending the person from the wrists by a rope, with weights added if necessary to heighten the discomfort. The strapado was so harmful that it cannot be used for more than an hour without causing the subject to die. The procedure commonly causes dislocation of the arms and shoulders, while the method's longer-term repercussions, which include lifelong nerve, ligament, and tendon damage, are less obvious. But, as you would have noticed, there's a theme here. One form of strapado just was not enough. The torture actually came in three different forms. Lucky, lucky, lucky people. Victims' arms are bound behind their backs in the first, then a heavy rope is fastened to their wrists and passed over a pulley, beam or hook on the roof. The torturer tugs on the rope until the victim is suspended from the arms. Because the victim's wrists are bound behind his or her back, the pain will be excruciating and the arms will likely dislocate. The expanded and internally rotated shoulder sockets then bear the full weight of the subject's body. The technique usually injures the brachial plexus, resulting in arm paralysis or loss of sensation. The second form, known as squassation, 
is identical to the first but includes a series of drops in which the victim is permitted to descend until the rope stops him or her. The excruciating jerk would then impose enormous stress to the extended and fragile arms, leading to fractured shoulders, in addition to the harm already caused by the suspension. Niccolo Machiavelli is thought to have been subjected to this sort of chapado during his, his imprisonment in 1513 for supposedly conspiring in a scandal against the Medici dynasty in Florence, who also happened to be his principal benefactors. The victim's hands are tied to the front in the third variant. The victim is also hung by his hands, but his hang ankles are bound and a large weight is placed on them. Not only will this create discomfort and damage to the arms, but also to the legs and the hips. So Game of Thrones fans will know this next one pretty well. Ramsay Bolton, you shithead. The practice of flaying, sometimes known as skinning alive, has a long and gruesome history. There seems to be some sort of pattern here, right? Is it just me? But I, I have a feeling there's a pattern. The practice dates back to the Neo-Assyrian Neo Empire, but it has also appeared in most civilizations at some point, including medieval Europe, where it was often used as a punishment for traitors, and the Aztecs' ritual of human sacrifices in Mexico. I mean, at least the Aztecs are believed to have skinned the body after the sacrifice has been made. Good job, Aztecs. <laughs> Various techniques have been used in many cultures where flaying has been practiced, but the basic principle remains the same. Slowly and painfully slicing the skin from the body while keeping the victim alive for as long as possible, and when feasible, removing the skin intact. Carvings from the Assyrian period depict the procedure starting with incisions in the thighs or the butt, whereas the European method shows the procedure beginning with the skin being removed off the feet and lower legs. Death would generally occur as a result of significant blood loss and shock, along with dying from her hypothermia as the skin provides natural insulation and is essential for maintaining body temperature. But in the extremely unlucky circumstances where experienced flayers were used, the victim may be kept alive for several days in a state of constant torment before succumbing to their very, very infected wounds. Now, the rack sucks. The wheel, not a vibe. Strapado, no thank you. Having my skin peeled off slowly while still alive, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. But the saw is one big, massive, gigantic nope. And that's because before being relegated to slicing through wood and heavy materials, the saw was used to torture or execute people. The saw was frequently used during the Middle Ages owing to the availability of the necessary tools in most homes and the lack of the need for complicated systems. It was a low-cost method of torturing and killing a victim suspected of witchcraft, adultery, murder, blasphemy or even theft. The victim would be shackled in an upside-down posture. This had three benefits. First, it ensured that enough blood was channeled to the brain. Second, it reduced blood loss. And third, it just humiliated the victim. This torture could continue for several hours, depending on the victim and the torturer. 
When a, a confession was required, the victim was frequently compelled to witness another person go through the process. He'd be slowly sliced in half if he didn't confess. Brutal. Brutal. While some victims were chopped in half as a symbolic gesture, don't quite know the symbolism there, but, you know, it's the, it's the Middle Ages. It's the Middle Ages. The majority were just cut up to their abdomen, which was done to extend the time until death. Oh, only one more to go, guys. We're almost there. We're almost there. So, as this episode has shown, humans have a long history of inventing new ways to cause harm to one another. There seemed to be absolutely no limit to the horrible torture devices that humanity have devised. However, one of the most horrifying ways of torture ever devised does not need complicated systems. Last, but by no means least, this is rat torture, a method that is disgusting in its simplicity. One of the most heinous forms of rat torture is placing a rat within a half cage and atop a, a shackled person's tummy, then slowly heating the cage. In order to get away from the heat, the rat burrows into the only soft surface it can find which would be the shackled person's tummy. The rat immediately gnaws its way into the victim's bowels with sharp claws and teeth, inflicting intense pain and terror. Bounding the prisoner and releasing a swarm of famished rats to their exposed face or genitals were also methods of rat torture. There was a room in the Tower of London known as the Rat's Dungeon, the room was a pitch-black prison cell beneath the river, beneath the River Thames waterline. Rats that were swept up from the river's banks would float in and begin nibbling at the flesh of the dungeon's inmates as the water rose. Rats were most commonly used in torture in this manner. Prisoners were placed in a small space with a rat colony. The inmates would eventually go insane as the rats gnawed at their limbs in a tiny room with no way to avoid them. The victims were terrified by the prospect of a rat eating their guts or merely crawling over their limbs while they slept. When a torturer is attempting to extract information from a victim, fear is sometimes a more effective technique than physical pain. When the purpose was only to inflict agony, however, terror was an effective method to add a psychological element to the torture. In the end, there are just a few documented examples of rat torture. It's possible that the thought of persuading a rat to chew its way into someone's stomach was so revolting that even the most hardened sadist shield away from it. Still, I mean, yeah, that's that's rough. <laughs> that's, that's rough. That is very, very rough. So you'll be happy to know that that is a wrap on episode 8. Medieval torture and the holidays, a perfect mix Who'd have thought? Who'd have thought? I hope you enjoyed or found this interesting at least. Which device made you cringe the most? All of them? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I agree. <laughs> I agree. Next week, we will be talking about cults. So please join me for that. You can follow Horror House True Crime and the Macabre on Instagram and Twitter at horrorhouse underscore pod. And please give the Facebook page a like too which you'll find at Horror House Pod. 
You can find the podcast anywhere you listen to your podcasts. And if you have time to rate and review, please do. Spotify allows you to rate podcasts now. So please give my little show a rating and also leave a review on Apple Podcasts or the website, horrorhousetruecrime.com. And all that's left to say is until next time, stay spooky. But also, I hope you have an amazing Christmas day. 